Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, as Ben said, I am Jonathan, uh, and I'm married to Tanya, and we have a, a little girl, Blakely, who's making herself known at the back there. Um, we also have a little one on the way due in five weeks, something like that, which is exciting. Um, I am in a pastor's group with Benj and Charlie and a bunch of other uh yeah, young leaders, I guess, around New South Wales, and um, it's really exciting to be a, a part of that and to mutually encourage each other, and super exciting to be here with you guys. I've heard a lot about what God is doing here, and so it's uh, really exciting to be here and to be able to be a bit of a part of that, um, and I've brought a couple of our crew along, Sam, Kira, Ella, Prue, and Pete. Um, they're just going to come out and hang out with us this morning, um, and they may come and lay a hand on you. I promise you they're very normal. Um, they're ordinary people, except for Sam. He's kind of weird, so you don't, wanna, you don't want him to, to lay a hand on you. No, Sam's actually been doing a bit of an internship with us for the first half of this year. Lord, help us. Um, but it's great to be with you this morning. Um, as I said, we've heard a lot about what God's doing here, so it's exciting to be here. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about what it means to be naturally supernatural this morning. And uh, I think it's really exciting what you guys are leaning into as a church, I know a number of churches don't act actively teach on who the Holy Spirit is and what He does in our lives. And unfortunately, when that happens, when we don't teach on it, there's a, there's a bit of a void in our lives, a, a void of, of understanding. And when we don't have an understanding, we just end up ignorant and confused. So I think it's super exciting what you guys are leaning into this morning. Uh, Francis Chan, he wrote a book uh, on the Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God, a bit of a provocative title, but in it he writes this, the benchmark of success in church services has become more about attendance than the movement of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say there's a big gap between what we read in Scripture about the Holy Spirit and how most believers and churches operate today. And he then goes on to suggest that if hypothetically the Holy Spirit were to leave many churches, most would continue to exist as they already are. They just lean into being more personality-driven or perhaps rely on their systems and structures. But that, when we read the New Testament, is not the way that church is supposed to operate. Believers and followers of Jesus in the New Testament were reliant on the presence and the power of the Spirit in their everyday lives. And I don't know your community well enough to know how many toes I just stepped on already, but um, <laughs> that's just to say that I'm really excited to be here and to be able to share with you this morning on what it means to be naturally supernatural. And that phrase, naturally supernatural, uh, it was actually birthed in the movement of which I'm a part of, which is called The Vineyard. Uh, but it's now used pretty widely across the capital C church across the world. And it essentially means how followers of Jesus can partner with the Holy Spirit in seeing His power and His presence break into our everyday lives. It's not about hype or manipulation or the person in the white suit or yelling into microphones or pushing people over. It's just about being normal, being who we are, and creating space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to come and move through us to bring His power and His kingdom. So often I think we actually miss the supernatural aspect of the Christian life because we don't understand that it comes in an everyday, ordinary package. We've been, trying, we've been trained to look for the hyped up or the holy man or woman of God to come and bring that stuff to us. 
But more often than not, the supernatural happens right alongside the natural in the everyday fabric of our lives. We don't need to become super apostles or holy men and women of God to be able to see God work through us. We don't all of a sudden have to change the way we dress. We'll start speaking in, you know, old English, reading the old King James Version and yelling that over people. We can be ourselves and we can be expectant that God wants to use us. Uh, Jesus, when he was talking in John 5, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. And that's really what being naturally supernatural is all about. It's just asking, Father, where are you working? And how can I partner with you in what you're doing in and around me? So I've titled this message this morning, Becoming a Naturally Supernatural People. Uh, How about we just pray for a second? Yeah, Lord Jesus, we welcome you here this morning amongst us. I want to pray that prayer, come Holy Spirit. We know that you're already here, you're already working, but God, we ask that you would come and do more amongst us. Would you open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to what you're saying to us this morning? Would you put power on this message in Jesus' name? Amen. Uh, I'm going to be starting this morning in Acts chapter 1. Now, if you know your Bibles, Acts is Luke's second volume. Uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he flows on to write Acts. And a really great way of reading Acts is actually to to finish Luke and then kind of skip John and jump straight into Acts, because it kind of flows like two volumes. And this is Acts chapter 1. He says, in my former book, that is his Gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, uh, now Theophilus, just a little bit of an aside, that was probably Luke's friend, but it's also a name that just means friend of God. So it's quite possible that Luke knew that this was going to be read a little bit more widely than just Theophilus himself. So he's kind of addressing it to all of us as the friends of God, as Christians. So in my former book, Friends of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, there are very, a few very important points here that I think Luke is touching on that we can quickly overlook if we just view it as his introduction. And the first is in verse 1. He says, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And there's an assumption here that what Jesus began to do and to teach didn't stop with his ascension. It was actually supposed to carry on through his body called the church. It's what Jesus began to do and to teach, not what Jesus did and taught. It's this assumption that his ministry is actually going to carry on in the power of the Holy Spirit through his disciples, through his followers. And that's a very important distinction because the ministry of Jesus from this point, this is kind of laying the foundation for Acts chapter 2 when, the, when Pentecost happens and the Spirit's poured out on the apostles and the, and the followers of Jesus. It's this assumption that Jesus' ministry is actually going to expand from this point on and be carried on through his body. And I know Ben's talked about this a little bit on the, in the first week of this series, but um, a lot of people assume that Jesus was able to do the stuff of the kingdom, the, the stuff that he did, because he was divine, because he was the Son of God. Now, the problem, if you land in that theological position, is you then have to discount all that Jesus continued to do and to teach through his church from that point forward. See, Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost happens, it's an empowering of his people to go and continue 
in his ministry. It's part of the family business, if you like. If you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus, then you get to do the stuff that Jesus did. It's the assumption that Luke's making here. And the second important assumption, I think, that he's highlighting is that Jesus' ministry had two key components. Uh, The first is demonstration, began to do, and the second is proclamation, to teach. And the church in the West, we've gotten really, really good at the proclamation part. And I'm not saying we shouldn't care about theology, we definitely should, but I do wonder if perhaps we need to write the scales a little bit and lean a little bit more into the demonstration aspect of Jesus' ministry as much as his proclamation aspect. And I also wonder if some people outside of the walls of the church would pay attention to our proclamation a little bit more if we also demonstrated the good news, the power of the kingdom of God. And the third little assumption that Luke makes here is that we understand what it actually was that Jesus began to do and to teach. And uh, Luke notes in the last 40 days, Jesus kept, back, kept coming back to this idea of the kingdom of God. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in London. Some friends of mine moved over there. We went and visited them. And I remember being at a tube station, farewelling them on the way to the airport. And uh, I, I can remember that conversation really, really well. I was very intentional about the words that I shared in that moment to my dear friend, and he also with me. And uh, it's no coincidence, if you've ever been in that scenario, that you actually pay attention to the words that you're saying in those moments. And Jesus here, right before his ascension, he had 40 days and appeared to his disciples over a number of those. And I I think he was pretty intentional about what he was sharing with his disciples. These are his last words that he's going to share before he goes to be at the right hand of the Father. And what he was on about, Luke says, was the kingdom of God. That's what he talked to them about. Jesus' entire message through the Gospels can be summarized by that statement, the kingdom of God. And the Greek is basileia to theo. Turn to the person next to you and say basileia. You're all theologians now. Well done. Now, that that phrase, Basileia, the kingdom, uh, it's not lines on a map, and it's not a physical place. The interpretation of that phrase is the rule and reign of God, the dynamic and active rule and reign of God. It's God in His sovereignty bringing everything under His rule and His reign. It's when God is Godding, if you like. N.T. Wright, he's a theologian, he talks about it as being God putting the world to rights. That's what Jesus was on about. That's what he began to do and to teach. And if you read his uh, parables, they're all a picture of the kingdom, what it means to pursue the kingdom and to live in the rule and reign of God. The wonderful things that he did, the healings, the deliverances, they weren't just healings and deliverances. They were all part of a message that God is bringing everything into his rule and reign. They were demonstrations of that message. People's lives were literally being brought into the kingdom of God through these acts of the kingdom. Luke even summarizes, if you read Luke's gospel in uh, Luke 8 verse 1, he summarizes Jesus' ministry as proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Matthew does the same in Matthew 9.35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So Jesus both proclaimed the kingdom and demonstrated that message, the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever read the gospels with that lens or that hermeneutic, if you like, but have you ever noticed how Jesus actually ministers the kingdom of God? He generally does it in a pretty naturally supernatural way. There's not a lot of hype, not a lot of razzmatazz, not a lot of yelling into microphones. Most of his miracles were actually done 
on the way somewhere to some small random town in the backside of Israel. They're often divine interruptions where someone comes to him and he goes, I wonder if the Father's doing something in this moment and steps into that and partners with the Holy Spirit in seeing the kingdom come in that moment. And I wonder for us, if perhaps being part of Naturally Supernatural is just becoming more aware that God wants to do that, divine interruptions in our lives. As you're going about your shopping, as you're going to work, as you're at the coffee station, be, be expectant that God might whisper to you to lean into and demonstrate the kingdom of God in that moment. But for me, Jesus' prayers when demonstrating the kingdom are the, are the biggest giveaway here. Have you ever noticed how Jesus prays for healing or deliverance? If he even prays at all, they're usually very short little prayers of command. They're not these dribbling long prayers asking the Father to somehow intervene. He declares it. We call it a word of command. He speaks into it and expects the Holy Spirit to come and do what he wants to do. I mean, listen to this phrase when he raises a girl from the dead in Luke 8, 54. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Not a long prayer. My child, get up. There's another translation that says telethakum, which means little lamb, little lamb, get up. It's just this compassion of Jesus. He's moved by compassion. Verse 55, her spirit returned and, once she, and, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, get her something to eat. I love that. It's the natural right alongside the supernatural. He's just raised this little girl to life and goes, she probably hasn't eaten for a couple of days, guys. Maybe just whip up a little snack. You can kind of imagine a disciple just like rummaging through a pantry going like, what do I, scramble some eggs? Like, what do I do here? It's the natural right alongside the supernatural. And we tend to picture these miracles as being like Hollywood scripts, but they're not. They're absolutely grounded in the humanity of Jesus. And we should read them like that. That's how this stuff works. God longs to move in the power of the in power in the everyday fabric of our lives. But what I especially love about this story of the kingdom is that it's not just Jesus who demonstrates his rule and his reign. He actually taught his disciples to do the same. Uh, John Mark Comer, who's um, a guy that I know Benj is a big fan of, and I share that with you, mate. Uh, he's a, a pastor from the US, but he talks about discipleship to Jesus involving three things being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. But John Mark Comer actually stole that right out of Jesus' playbook. That's not a John Mark original, that's a Jesus original. We see this in Luke 9 and Luke 10. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, before you disqualify yourself and think, yeah, well, that was the 12 disciples who were to become the 12 apostles, you know, that doesn't really apply for me in Long Jetty in 2022, listen to the start of Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, 72 randoms, oh, what's their names? Didn't even write them down. And sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Makes sense. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Proclamation and demonstration. Luke and, and Matthew, is this, um, this text is also quoted in Matthew, they didn't even bother to find out their names and write them down. They're, they're, they're making a statement here that you don't need a theology degree or a staff position or some scout honors badge in order to demonstrate the kingdom of God. You just need to be a disciple of Jesus. You just need to be following King Jesus. John Mumford, he's a, 
a leader in um, our movement in the vineyard in the UK, and uh, he, he says that often people come up to him and they say something like, I don't think I'm qualified for this sort of thing. And so he usually asks them, well, do you love Jesus? And they say, well, yes. Do you feel weak? Well, yes, that's why I've come to you. And he says, okay, put your hands on your wrists. And they do this. And they think that he's going to pray like some commissioning prayer or something. He goes, do you have a pulse? Yes. Then you're qualified. Go pray for the sick. And I love that. It's just this idea that we all get to do this. We all get to play. This is part of the family business. It's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Our church at the moment on Sunday nights, we're running the Alpha course, um, which I know you guys do here as well. And uh, there's a guy coming on our Alpha course at the moment, a young lad. And I just think God's up to something in his life. He actually came to church. He was invited by his cousin last year, right before lockdowns. And uh, he popped into church, and normally after we have a, a time of teaching, we, we just wait on the Holy Spirit and see what he wants to do. And in this particular circumstance, I just looked across, and I just wondered, it just looked like God might be meeting him. So I said to the guy next to me, hey, I think God might be up to something here. I don't know this kid. Um, just be really gentle, introduce yourself, but just go and see if, if there's something you can pray for him. So he goes over, and I can see they're having like a little chat, and very short prayer, and 20 seconds later, my friend comes back. And I, honestly, I was a little bit annoyed I was like, gosh, I thought God was doing something. You could have given it like a little bit of time, but like 20 seconds later, he's back here. Anyway, after the, the gathering, I go over and I said, hey, you know, my, my name's Jonathan. I haven't seen you before. Welcome. Um, how did you find that? Has anyone ever prayed for you or with you before? And he said to me, to be honest, I was pretty skeptical, but uh, I've had this pain in my foot because I'm a surfer and I stood in a sea urchin three months ago. And uh, the doctor got most of the barbs out, but there's one that's still in my foot that hasn't come out yet, and it's been quite painful. And he starts pressing his foot on the ground like this, and he goes, but the pain seems to have gone. And I said, well, you know, that's pretty cool. That's just Jesus meeting you. Um, We're going to run Alpha. We ended up going to lockdown, but we're going to run Alpha. You know, why don't you come along to Alpha and explore this? And he was keen, and he's coming along now, thankfully. But later that night, he, uh, he texts his friend, because in the shower, the last sea urchin barb just came out of his foot. Isn't that just the kindness of Jesus? And he's sort of freaking out. He's like, what is happening? My friend's like, you should do Alpha. (laughs) But there was no smoke machine. There was no music. We're a small baby church. It was a pretty normal gathering. It's just disciples being obedient to the presence of Jesus and expecting him to break into people's lives. Uh, Paul, he writes this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2. My message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. A demonstration of the Spirit's power. And this is the Apostle Paul. He was a prestigious intellect. He could riff it with the best Roman and Greek scholars of the day. You know, he had like a Barack Obama level of like public speaking ability. You know, he could rock up and just start arguing a point. But he he makes it pretty clear that even with all of that, he doesn't rely on arguing someone into the kingdom of God in his own wisdom and his own strength. He relies on the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And here's the thing. When we minister in the power of the Spirit, demonstrate the kindness of Jesus, it's a demonstration that he rules and he reigns. It's a demonstration of his kingdom, that he is actively restoring everything to himself. When we see kingdom power demonstrated in the room, it's not God trying to prove that he's powerful. It's God's way of saying, my son justly rules over all things. That's why this is important. And the church for millennia has relied on this. 
If you read church history, you'll see account after account of the Holy Spirit partnering with His people in bringing the kingdom of God. And we have to start to realize again that this is a normal part of following Jesus. We carry the very presence of Jesus into every room we walk into. And if we truly believe that, we would start to see rooms pretty differently. There's a movie that came out about 10 years ago now. Uh, It made a a small ripple in the box office, particularly amongst kids and families. I don't know if you've heard of it, uh, Frozen. But uh, there's a little, I don't want to spoil the masterpiece for you, but there's a little snowman in this movie called Frozen uh, who wants to be a snowman in the summer. Pretty difficult for a snowman. So at the end of the movie, he gets given his own little cloud, his own little climate, if you like, which goes around with him everywhere he goes so he can be a snowman in the summer. Well, part of following Jesus is to be little Olafs. We're supposed to carry the presence of Jesus into every room we walk into. We carry the climate of the kingdom because we carry the presence of Jesus in us and on us. We're supposed to be like little Olafs, which means that when you walk into a room, the odds shift. When you walk into a cafe and someone sits down next to you with back pain, the odds have just shifted for that person because you carry the climate of the kingdom as a follower of Jesus. And actually, just as a bit of an aside, I, I wonder if there's someone here with back pain this morning that's been ongoing for a while. Um, I wonder if God wants to heal you this morning. I could, I could be wrong. I'm just stepping out with a bit of a risk there. But um, I just wonder if there's someone here that's, okay, cool. We can pray for you later. But just be expectant that God might even meet you as, as I continue to share. Um, there's another guest on our current Alpha course, and I think God's doing something in her life as well. Um, but she came to church a few weeks ago. Her sister-in-law invited her, and we had a, another little time of ministry. And I looked across and I just thought, oh, I think God's doing something there. So Ella, who's here this morning, went and prayed with her. And because this girl was visiting for the first time, I watched it like a hawk. You know, I was like quite protective. And um, I can tell you, Ella didn't ring any bells or light any incense or lick her, or kiss her, or push her over, or anything weird like that, I'm pretty sure, you have to ask Ella the story, but I'm pretty sure she just invited the presence of Jesus to come and meet this girl, and he started to meet her, and she started to weep, and so we invited her to Alpha, and she's coming along, and she, she's exploring what this relationship with Jesus could be like. But some of us have shied away from pursuing the things of the kingdom because we've seen the excesses, you know, we've seen the hype, we've seen the white suits and the inauthentic, and we kind of go, I don't want to be any part of that. But I want to say this morning, it doesn't have to look like that. It doesn't have to be that way. There's another way. What if we, just as disciples of Jesus, prioritize being with Jesus, becoming like Him, and learning to do what He did? I think we'd see a move of God across our nation if disciples were to do that. So I just want to finish this morning. How long have I got, Ben? Benj? Till two? (laughs) Cool, great. Um, But seriously, how long have I got? About now. Okay, cool. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to fly through this. Um, how, do, how do we do this? Because it's all well and good to go, yeah, that's great. But how do we actually do this? And I just want to um, firstly say, I think it starts with desiring uh, a move of the Spirit in our own lives and in our gathered communities. I think that's the first point. And from chatting to ben, Benj this week, um, it's exciting that you guys have that desire to step into this. But then I also think we need a bit of a model. Um, it's not a formula where you, you say the right Christianese phrase and pop it into the, 
spiritual vending machine and out pops a miracle. That's not really how this works. But we do need a model, like a starting point to learn to step into this stuff. So when you're at your coffee station at work and someone walks past with a bad back, you can go, oh, I've got a starting point that I can, that I can step from here. And so I just want to give you a super quick, really easy model that you can use in church, you can use it in the workplace, you can use it in a discipleship conversation with somebody, and it just in, uh, involves four things. Invite, wait, watch, and respond. So the first is invite, and we invite the presence of Jesus, we invite His Holy Spirit. And I usually in that moment like to pray a prayer, it's called the Epiclesis, it's one of the oldest prayers in the church, it's pre-Nicene Creed, and it's simply, come Holy Spirit. Now, it's not like the Holy Spirit wasn't already here. He is. He is omnipresent. But what it, it's, it's an invitation for, come, for Him to come and to start to work intentionally that we partner with Him in that moment for what He wants to do to bring His kingdom. Um, in the Old Testament, it's called the Shekinah glory of God. It's um, when the presence of the Lord dwells somewhere in a specific time and place. Um, the Tent of Meeting was one of those. Um, the Temple was another uh, there are a number of examples of that through Scripture, and so that's what we're asking Him to do, to do and to come and to do. Um, he is the one who ministers. We just partner with Him. So we invite His presence. We just say, come Holy Spirit. We don't have to hype anything up. The power is actually in His presence. So we just invite His presence. The second is we wait. Now, Scripture is full of examples to wait on the Lord. If you don't believe me, just start reading some of the Psalms. Um, but practically, it takes us a while to engage with the activity of the Lord. And so it's important for us just to, to still ourselves, as we did earlier, and to wait on His presence, to wait for Him to come and do something. And I, I don't know why that is, but I think it's a trust thing. Um, it's almost like we, we intentionally put away our desire to try and control the situation and give control back to Him, and He is the leader, so we wait for Him. Uh, someone explained it to me like we're waiting for a bus, um, we're waiting expectantly. We're not waiting passively. We're waiting and expecting that He will come. Now, that analogy breaks down a little bit with New South Wales transport, but you, you, you do get the idea. So, we invite, we wait, and then we watch. So, we pray with our eyes open, um, and I know that's tricky to do when we're used to closing our eyes, but I often drive and pray at the same time. So, if I were to pray and close my eyes while driving, it would be an issue. So we just do that. We, we, we keep our eyes open and we watch what He's doing. And often when the Holy Spirit meets somebody, there's actually physical, tangible signs we can see of Him meeting somebody. Um, it might be that uh, their fingers start to tremble a little bit. They might tremble a lot. They might just look at peace or look like they're in, engaging. Um, sometimes people's eyelids flutter a little bit. That's like an involuntary response. Um, try it at home. You can't do it in front of the mirror, I promise you. Um, but when we, when we encounter, our human bodies encounter the presence of the Lord, we often react. And if you think about it, that would make sense because He is power. And if we put our finger into a, a PowerPoint, we're going to react. And that often happens. And we're not fixated on what the reaction is, but we're just watching, God, are you up to something here? And during that time, we're asking, how are you asking me to pray? And so we respond to His leading. Um, we're asking Him to do more. And in that moment, you might get a specific thought as a starting point to pray from. It might be a Bible verse that you'd read. Um, it might be a Bible character. It might be, if you're creative, a picture in your mind's eye. Um, it could be kind of a wondering or a knowing about a situation. That's just called a word of knowledge. And you, you just give that, you offer that in a really normal way. Hey, I could be wrong. I'm learning here. I wonder, is this happening for you? And can I pray into that? And then to say, yeah or no. And if it's a no, well, you move on. But if it's a yes, then you go, okay, I think, got, I think God's up to something, and we pray into that. Okay, I've gone over time. Um, 
And so we've been talking about this naturally supernatural ministry. Um, and now we want to demonstrate it. We want to demonstrate the kingdom. And uh, we don't have to hype anything up. We can just relax. We can be ourselves. We don't make something happen. The Lord comes and dwells. Uh, and look, if he doesn't do anything, we just had morning tea a little bit earlier, which is fine. Um, so we don't, we don't need to hype anything up. But how about we stand and just be expectant that God might want to show up and do something amongst us. Um, some of my crew, do you guys want to come up? And Ben, do you want to come up? Okay, come up. So if you feel comfortable in this moment, we're just going to wait. We're going to pray and wait. Um, as Ben offered before, if you want to put your hands out in front of you, you don't have to, but that's just a sign, the physical mirroring the spiritual. I'm open to what you want to do amongst us this morning, God. And we're just going to pray, invite the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to wait on Him. So God, we pray that prayer now. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you've been doing amongst us. We thank you that you're already here. And God, now we pray that your Spirit would fall. Come, Holy Spirit, and we wait for you this morning.